Don't look now, but the Emmys, what industry folks call television's biggest night, are just a month away. Hi there. Adam Holtz is off enjoying a virtual vacation this week, so your host for the Plugged In show is me, Paul Acey. Because of the coronavirus, the Emmys will look a lot different from the award shows we're used to. No huge auditorium, no big splashy performances, no long-winded acceptance speeches. Well, the acceptance speeches may still be a little bit long, but the Emmys still say that this will be an awards show like none we've ever seen. Our virtual awards show. Which is fitting in another way. Because when it comes to family viewing, the Emmys nominated virtually nothing. Obviously, we're talking TV this week, and joining me are three terrific TV experts. Kristen Smith. Jonathan McKee. And Emily Clark. And of course, you out there are joining us as well. Keep in touch with us by emailing us at team, that's T-E-A-M, at thepluggedinshow.com, or by connecting with us on Facebook and Instagram. So let's dig into your distant past to get things started today. Look back to when you were a kid, sitting around with your family in the family living room. Um, what were you guys watching? Did you guys have a favorite TV show that you watched as a family? Oh man, I think I think for us, you know, I can I can think lots of them, but I don't know why this comes to mind. But The Incredible Hulk, and I'm talking, <laughs> of course, about Lou Frigno. You know, Incredible Hulk. I mean this. This I don't know who came up with this show or whatever, but it was basically guy goes to small town and somehow a bunch of people decide to pick a fight with him and they start to beat him up. And then he looks up at the camera with this one special look that's kind of like this, <gasps> you know, like his <laughs> eyes start to turn, you know, and that's usually after he said, you wouldn't like me when I'm angry. And then his <laughs> shirt rips and, you know, his pants rip, except for this one particular pair of cutoffs because it's a family show. Well, yeah. And, you know, exactly. all of a sudden he turns into this gigantic green thing and kicks butt and we watched it as a family and and it was just it, it was fun i loved it. It, it it we literally friday night we're like the hulk's on pop popcorn <laughs> see i'm so jealous i never get to watch the hulk with my family my family wouldn't even let me watch the hulk Aww. but that's that's another because it was too violent it was right? too violent the, there was too much screen skin it was it was not family friendly for my family <laughs> So me and my siblings actually together watched DuckTales and Arthur were probably two of our favorite shows. Oh, yeah. Arthur. But as a – right? Such a classic. As a family, though, uh, we watched America's Funniest Home Videos all the time. That was something that we, I guess, always reverted to. But we didn't watch a ton of TV growing up, honestly. Plugged in would say that's a good thing. (laughs) (laughs) Officially. We definitely watched – TV growing up, I just don't really remember watching any specific show as a family. Like, there wasn't something that we came back to every week and we were like, oh, you know, America's Funniest Home Videos is on or anything like that. And I don't know if that's because we were far enough apart in age that none of us really wanted to watch the same thing or if it was because... We just didn't do that sort of thing in our family. I honestly don't know. I do remember watching um, MASH with my dad. That was like his show. He had the DVD set of all the MASH seasons. And um, I remember watching that a lot. But I I don't know. I don't think we ever really sat down as a family and were like, this is what we're going to do. Like, if we were going to do that, I think it was more of like a let's just watch a movie type deal. Yeah. yeah. You know, actually, when I wrote out the question... 
I I made myself kind of sad because my experience was a little bit the same <laughs> as yours. You know, I think you're not alone. <laughs> I think that part of it was my mom was not a big TV watcher, right? So I watched a lot of stuff with my dad. I watched Mash, as a matter of fact, not on DVD, but actually in first run. <laughs> Um, we watched James Bond movies together, I think. But I don't really remember watching a lot with my mom. My mom tried to, to culture us, so we would watch a lot of PBS together. But my dad wasn't into that at all. So the the one time that I remember watching it with both of my folks was uh, we would watch The Wonderful World of Disney every once in a while. And oh. they had these cool Disney shorts, you know, the old goofy shorts that they used to have? Not not like pants shorts, but short animated shows and uh, <laughs> and I just remember sitting and watching my dad howl with laughter and thinking that was just like one of the best moments of my childhood just the fact that we were all in the same room together I thought that is pretty cool so it's it's interesting how much TV has changed in some ways. Um, once upon a time, David Frost said that television is an invention that permits you to be entertained in your living room by people you wouldn't have in your home. And if you look at the oh, shows man. that snagged the lion's share of the Emmy nominations a few weeks ago, it sure seems like Frost was on to something. Of the eight shows nominated for Best Drama, six were rated TVMA, which is the equivalent of an R rating. Of the ten shows to score the most nominations... Eight of them were rated for, for mature audiences only. This is not to say that these nominees aren't quality shows aesthetically. I mean, I think that we can all look at yeah. them and say, you know, there's some merits to what these stories are, are telling. But they're certainly not shows that you'd necessarily want to watch as a family. And it seems to me like television, at least the most prominent buzzy shows on television, just seem to be getting worse. But let me just throw it out to you guys and ask you... Is that wrong? Is television in terms of its family friendliness really worse now than it was when we were kids? And if it is true, why? So I think you can answer this in a couple different ways, but I think a lot of the things that only used to be discussed are now shown visually. So, I mean, I, I used to, I don't know, if I look back in like some of the older shows, they talk about things that it's like, oh, well, that's not necessarily family friendly, but you didn't always see a ton on the screen and now especially shows that are rated or like geared toward teens you'll definitely see a lot more skin just a lot more on the screen as opposed to just hearing it i'd agree with that i think that it's not so much that the content hasn't always been there i think it's just that now instead of whereas it used to be this is something we can talk about but it's not something we're going to show now it's like no we're going to show it too and that can be a little uh, overwhelming for some people, I think. Yeah. Why do you think that is? I mean, why do you think the TV has gotten harsher? Why is it, Why are television producers able to show more than they have in the past? I think one of the things that we're starting to see is just how streaming video has changed everything because, um, you know, I mean, sure, you know, back when Three's Company was on, it was filled with innuendo and stuff. And even if you watch old 80s episodes of Magna P.I., you'll be like, oh, that was a little edgy. But I mean, it's just nothing compared to, you know, Game of Thrones, you know, which people say is the number one show ever, you know. So, I mean, there's just no yeah. matching when you, when it comes to comparing with cable or streaming. I think one uh, interesting thing is to look at a show that is 
jumped from uh, each different type of viewing option. Like take like Veronica Mars. That was early 2000s. And I don't know if Emily, if you or Kristen grew up watching Veronica Mars at all. (laughs) Okay. Okay. Yeah. So they now have the new Hulu Veronica Mars. And we actually used to watch Veronica Mars when it was first out. And I'd say it was a little edgy, but the Hulu version is way edgier, like way pushing the limits because, hey, what limits are there when you're streaming? So that's one of the things I'm finding is, hey, you know, I mean, if you're going to put something on Netflix or on HBO or any of these places that people readily have because, and that's one thing, Emily, you and Kristen probably didn't experience as much as Paul and I experienced. Paul and I literally grew up where we had three channels if the rabbit ears were turned just like That's so, exactly you know, right. exactly Ma- maybe right. four, you know, and I remember when my next door neighbor got cable and we'd sneak to his house <laughs> and watch it because we weren't supposed to, you know, but I mean, it was kind of like a, whoa, Matt's got cable. It was like a rare thing. Now everybody's got cable and everybody has access to everything. So it's hard to compare Game of Thrones to Three's Company because Three's Company was subject to all these rules um, where, you know, Game of Thrones can pretty much do what they want. Yeah, and I think it stays alive because they're saying that people want it, right? I mean, if there wasn't an audience, they probably wouldn't produce it anymore. But as you can tell with Game of Thrones, I mean, we won't go into all the problematic stuff that like is in this show. Um, but if people want it, they're going to make it. You know, on that same note, though, I think you could take out a lot of the problematic content and people would still want to watch a show like Game of Thrones because the storyline is there. Like, it's just there. It's good entertainment. And it doesn't need all of that problematic content to be entertaining. Those are things that they've thrown in. And I think what it is is kind of what Jonathan was saying about how, you know... Back when Three's Company was on air, it was like, that was all there was to to watch. Nowadays, if you have something like HBO, which is what Game of Thrones is on, you're paying for that content. So it's almost like by getting the subscription, you are saying, this is the type of content that I am okay with and that I want. And so keep giving me this type of content. It's almost like we've given these streaming services a license to continue producing this type of content. Yeah, it's a super valid point. I think that HBO almost feels like they need to deliver that. You can find interviews of Amelia Clark and she'll talk about how Game of Thrones really guilt tripped her into trying to do nudity scenes. And she was a young actress and she's like, well, maybe this is just what I have to do. And literally these people were saying, come on, your Game of Thrones fans want this. And this pressure was put on this young actress and and you kind of feel bad. And this is the, this is kind of the world we're living in right now where you're seeing a lot of this stuff available. And so it has changed TV as you know it. And that's why it's so cool when you actually see a show that comes out that doesn't go there, that is just using, hey, wow, good storytelling and good acting and everything. You know, yeah. because I agree with Emily, you know, Game of Thrones probably could have done it. And if they ever put something out on the USA network that's, you know, edited down, it probably be really good viewing. Yeah, you know, when when you say that, Jonathan, I think of The Mandalorian, which was nominated for 15 Emmys, actually. And, you know, that's on Disney+. Plus. Uh, lots of families sat down and watched it. It does have some violence issues. Be sure to check out our plugged-in review before, you know, you sit together as a family to watch it. But at the same time, it, it talks about what you're talking about, Jonathan. It's a really good story, and it shows that you don't necessarily need to have that 
real, real edgy content yeah. to, to make a good, compelling story that you sit down and watch every week or binge watch through the course <laughs> of a day. <laughs> Don't judge me in my viewing habits. <laughs> Well, and it's and it's much easier for young people nowadays too because they're carrying around a device in their pocket that allows them to have this at any time, you know. And you know, we know from most reports out there that young people average almost ten hours a day streaming entertainment media, and that's including music and screen time. Um, but Does not I mean, shock me a at big. All. Yeah, yeah, and that, that's a big chunk of that is TV. Crazy thing is Nielsen came out with a report about ever since COVID, ever since COVID, uh, TV, you know, usage by different age groups went up. As a matter of fact, Nielsen put out this one graph. We should link it in this podcast so you guys can all see it. It's amazing because it shows how like literally six through 11 year olds or 12 through 17 year olds watched, you know, 300% more TV during the hours of, you know, and it's funny. It's like during these hours when they got up, but it was also funny how TV viewing went down at 7 a.m. in that same age group because they were no longer getting up for school during those hours and clicking <laughs> on the TV. So so it's funny how something like COVID has changed it because obviously hours went up. Um, gaming went up as well, which we've talked about before, and people watching, you know, programming about gaming. So it just streaming all around went up during COVID. Yeah. No, yeah. and I, I think that that brings us to an interesting question, you know, because we do know that kids are watching more TV than ever before, most likely. Um, at the same time, it's not just Emmy-nominated shows that are having, you know, very adult type of content to them. Kristen and Emily, I know that you guys have seen a ton of shows targeted for kids, targeted for teens, and you've seen some pretty adult content popping up in those oh, yeah. as well, right? Oh, yeah. Um, one of the shows that immediately comes to mind for me is Never Have I Ever, which is on Netflix, and you can read our review about that. Um, there's a That is a show that is very much geared towards teens, but is also very much trying to normalize sex. And... I think what I'm seeing a lot of, especially in shows that are geared towards teens, is this normalization of sex and, like, everybody's having it and you shouldn't be ashamed if you're having it and things like that, which is problematic in so many ways. But I think where I draw the line is that, you know, it's one thing to say you shouldn't be ashamed because, you know, we're... Jesus redeems us and Jesus forgives us of our sins. And in that sense, I can understand why, you know, they're trying to put this out there that you shouldn't be ashamed. It's because, you know, if you're talking about it from a Christian standpoint, yes, because Jesus redeems us and, you know, negates all of our sins and such. At the same time, that's not where they're coming from. They are coming at it from a cultural view of sex is good and everybody should have it whatever. And that's just not the Christian standpoint. So it's almost like they're getting their messages mixed where they're almost trying to say, hey, we're going to try to make this healthy and talk about this in a healthy way, except they don't have the roots. They don't have Jesus in the conversation to make it okay. Yeah. You know, it's it's interesting that you mentioned that because I think I, I wrote a book several years ago called Burning Bush 2.0. And, and I wrote a little bit about TV in it where I talk a little bit about uh, anti-heroes, right? Okay. And some of the trends that we see in TV now are are, are about anti-heroes and, and the, the heroes that we see on TV tend to be more complex. And to me, some of those shows, as difficult as they can be, as problematic as they can be, um, can speak to the desire 
and the need that we all have to be redeemed, to be saved. You know, yeah. Breaking Bad, it is a really foul, harsh show, and yet in some ways it's a cautionary tale, and it yeah. really talks about the reality of sin. Yeah. When you're talking about some of these shows, you're talking about shows that, that sort of negate the sense of sin. Like, mm-hmm. there is no sin, you can just do whatever you want. Yeah, I mean, I think I've seen that on... I guess if we're talking about shows specifically geared toward teens, Riverdale is one of the first ones that pops up. Um, And it is like, it is so crazy. I mean, every time I review an episode, I go over and I talk to Paul or Emily and I'm like, okay, something new happened on Riverdale. There's like a cult or, you know, something crazy happened. And to Emily's point and to your point as well, Paul, um, sexual content I mean, obviously sex is normal, but what they're doing is they're taking something and they're, they're taking it away from covenant. They're taking it away from its biblical roots and its purpose. And so it becomes this thing where the more it's normalized on screen, of course, teens, you know, if they follow that trend, then they're entering into something that's very harmful and it creates a lot of harm very early on. And so obviously, you know, as you get older and you start to learn a bit more, you'll, you'll understand that there's a lot of purpose in what God has created. But when you're young like that and you're ingesting all of that content, it can be extremely dangerous. Yeah. I totally, I'm so glad that you said the word covenant there, because I think that's what it is. It's that they're trying to, especially in some of the shows I've seen, they are having these teenagers talk about it in a healthy way where they're like, am I ready to have sex? Do I want to have it with this person? Do I love this person? Those are good things, but those are things that should be within the covenant of marriage. And I, so yeah, I totally agree, Kristen. Yeah. There's another point too, not just, um, in teen shows, but in kids shows. So I guess stepping away from the topic of sexuality, language has become Mm. another issue. So I reviewed um, the latest Transformers on Netflix, I don't know, like last week. And they said a few foul words. It's a TVY7 show. And I was going to let my son watch it. And then I'm sitting there reviewing it. I'm like, oh my goodness, it's a good thing I've reviewed this. I'm a little annoyed <laughs> that they would put this in a kid's show. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I think they're just pushing boundaries in, in a lot of different areas. Yeah. You know, it's tough because, I mean, you have shows that might even have a good theme, like Breaking Bad was mentioned. It actually is a good theme. It's it's pretty much saying, hey, look, it, this is a story of someone who tried to, you know, deal drugs because they thought it would help out financially and end up ruining their life. You know, pretty good theme, but sadly you get kind of dragged through the mud as you're watching this, you know, and then, uh, but then you got shows that kind of are more like Riverdale and these ones were pretty much what you have, you haven't had sex yet. Well, of course you should have sex. That's what everybody's doing, you know, and they're just kind of uh, almost just saying, you know, th- they're they're kind of painting a picture that this is something that's happening. Then you have the level of, and we've talked about it on the show before, preachy shows, shows like <laughs> you'd say, I'd go to the level of like Glee or Grey's Anatomy, where not only are they just having sex and saying, so they're actually preaching that you should do this and you're a fool if you're not doing this because nothing matters morally, you know, I mean, and so it's interesting how we see all these different shows. And really what it comes down to is we as parents need to take the advice of, okay, ready? Uh, Scripture, not only uh, in Deuteronomy 6, where it talks about, talk about this with your kids all the, all the time, your family doctor, the journal of pediatrics is even saying, hey, 
co-view this stuff with your kids and talk with them about it. And something else that the uh, American Academy of Pediatrics says I think is really good is they say, hey, with all this screen time stuff, there's so much screen time debate. Um, if you got kids that are watching stuff, have them watch stuff in a room that you're in, you know, at least have yep. it in the same room or whatever. Don't have them off in the bedroom watching this stuff, because at least if they're in the room and you hear all of a sudden all this language and the stuff, you could be like, hey, what is this that's happening here? You could sit down and you could talk with them about it or turn it off or whatever you need to do. And sadly, there's so much screen time. We've kind of let them go their own way and uh, have free range and they're streaming who knows what through their headphones in their bedroom and that's not a good idea well and that brings us to a really important point i think jonathan because you were talking earlier about about how everybody has these screens in their pocket now right it is so much harder for parents to keep track of what their kids are watching you see that these shows are getting harsher and harsher in a lot of ways they're dealing with issues that really you should be dealing with as a family and yet they're they're how is a parent supposed to keep track of what their kids are watching? Are there tools that parents can use to help sort of rein in that screen time? Yeah, I think there are a few tools. Well, first of all, let's not make this sound like it's completely hopeless and that <laughs> there's just no hope here. What can we do? Um, first, I think like to Jonathan's point, sitting down and having conversations with your kids and teaching them how to discern on their own, because we're not going to be able to control all of that. And as a parent of a toddler, that's very terrifying to me because I can still control everything and I'm really type A, so it works out well. But um, when he gets older, I'm obviously not going to be able to do this. And so sitting down and giving parameters, like this is what we believe as a family. This is why this is what this means. And additionally, um, every device Every device has some sort of screen time controls. Um, I actually recorded a video way back when, it's on our website, um, about iOS updates and what Apple has. Um, but I know Android has the same things. And then you have content filters, whether that's like a VPN setting, monitoring software, like Covenant Eyes, text monitoring. Like there's a whole bunch of stuff that parents can use to help filter what their kids are doing. Well, and I love, and I got to admit, I mean, when you got resources in your hand, like Paul's book that literally talk about how we as parents can engage our kids in these conversations about TV. I love it because not only is the book good, but here's a guy who's constantly writing these reviews. I mean, and basically all you guys here at this table are writing these great reviews that not only that, that, you know, the purpose isn't just to say yay or nay, but Hey, here's some things to talk about with your kids. And that's one of the things that's so important is this isn't just about correction. This is about connection. And what we need to do is we need to connect with our kids about this stuff. We need to not just say, what are you watching? Turn that garbage off. You know, then they roll their <laughs> eyes and they go and they sneak and they turn something else on, you know, sadly, one of the things, and, and it is more hard with COVID. I, I just, in the book I was writing right now, I was interviewing all these families and one mom was telling me about how the kid's supposed to be doing distance learning. And he kept flipping the tab on his computer and he starts watching these YouTube videos of these videos that she told him not to watch, you know, and sure. I was able to give her some advice about, uh, literally <laughs> blocking YouTube on that <laughs> device. Um, but more important than that is cause he could go to some screen that you guys forgot your kids even owned that was in a drawer somewhere and connect it and start watching the same stuff. That's why we need to talk with our kids about this stuff and teach them truth so that they can recognize these lies when they see them themselves, when they're watching this stuff by themselves. 
I agree with that. And I also, going back to your point earlier about just having them in the same room as you, let me just say, there's a lot of shows that I watched as a teenager that I'm not ashamed that I watched. And I don't think my parents ever had an issue with me watching them either. But it's not something you want to watch with your parents in the room. You know, that awkward moment where you pause the screen and it's right where something bad is happening. And you're just like, well, (laughs) yep, (laughs) that happened, you know. Um, and that's why parents should be in the room. <laughs> exactly. If pa- yeah, exactly. If the parents are in the room, you don't do that because you're like, I don't, I'm not going to watch that with mom and dad in the room. So having your kids, um, you know, just asking them to respect that boundary and be like, hey, we're going to watch this in the room together. Like, you don't have to watch it with me, but you need to be in the same room as me. Like, that's that's one way I think that you could safeguard your kids. Um, what's another way? Another way I was thinking about earlier is just you know, sometimes you can't safeguard them. Sometimes, you know, they're going to do what they're going to do. And it really is important to talk to your kids as much as you can. Um, And, you know, you don't necessarily want to tell them, hey, you can't do that. Because as teenagers, what do we like to do when we are told we're not allowed to do something? We want to go do it and see why we're not allowed to go do something. Um, And another reason might be because, just because you're not going to let me watch it in the house doesn't mean I'm not going to go to my best friend's house and watch it with them. And now, not only am I disobeying you, but I'm probably lying to you and hiding it away and feeling shame because I'm hiding this part of myself. Yeah, it gets back to what Jonathan was saying, I think, about connection, right? I think that... that Parents need to connect with their kids, especially when they're teens and they're talking about some of these big issues. And they need to have that those lines of communication as open as possible. Because you're right, Emily. I mean, we we can say no, and sometimes we should say no to certain yeah. things. But at the same time, we can't necessarily protect our kids from everything. And they're going to do stuff that we don't approve of. But if you're able to communicate with your kids, if you're able to talk through some of those difficult issues that they might have been exposed to via TV show or whatnot, uh, I think it can really improve relationships and can can sort of inoculate your kids in some ways from from bad television content. Absolutely. I mean, people ask me all the time, Jonathan, what's the best porn block? And without hesitation, I always say the best porn block is talking with your kids explicitly about sex and intimacy to talk with them and say, Hey, here's what the Bible says, open up Proverbs five and, and, you know, go through it with them, you know, start with Genesis, jump to Proverbs five, then go to first Corinthians six. I mean, literally you can talk with them about what the Bible says. Cause the more you equip them with the truth in this matter, again, I said it before, the more they're going to recognize the lies when they're over at their friend's house. So that's one of the best things we can do is have these conversations. And then, yeah, sure, there's some things you can do. You can get on their phone and you can, if they're watching too much YouTube, block out YouTube. You definitely could say, hey, sorry, we don't want you on social media yet. All these things. You can, you can limit all kinds of stuff, but you got to be having those conversations. Well, I guess that's where I'd like to close the book on this television conversation by reminding us all that television isn't some big, bad boogeyman. Uh, It really can be a tool to help us draw together. It can be a tool, like Mm. Jonathan says, for connection. But like all good parenting, good television demands a little thought. We need to choose strong shows and be willing to talk about them with our kids. Uh, Because as influential as that screen can be in your son or daughter's life, television's influence doesn't hold a candle to yours. And you know what? I think this week we should get 
Paul's book into your hands. So I'll tell you what, when you donate a gift of any amount to Focus on the Family, we will mail you a copy of Burning Bush 2.0. And again, I love what Paul says in there about television and how to engage our kids into conversation. So uh, again, if you donate any amount, we will get that book to you. Wow. Thanks so much, Jonathan. That's really nice. Um, and thanks so much for, to all of you for listening today. Uh, I personally love these talks, and we wouldn't be able to do them without you. Feel free to let us know what you think of TV or of us by writing to us at team at thepluggedinshow.com or drop us a comment on Facebook or Instagram. And connect with us again next week, won't you? Adam will be back, hopefully, and we'll be serving up another great conversation on The Plugged In Show.